the world today. Oh, what a devastating blow. Internationally known for his martial art and wrestling skills. Antonio exploding. Hits him again and down he goes. Incredible victories, international championships, legions of adoring fans around the globe, all are part of Antonio Inoki's remarkable resume. This man is an artist. You've got to be impressed. But these accomplishments merely scratch the surface of Inoki's impact. A household word in professional wrestling. Inoki honed his ring skills in both Japan and the United States during the 1960s. By the early 70s, Inoki was not only a top draw, but would found New Japan Pro Wrestling. Over the next two decades, Inoki would battle top international superstars from around the globe, both in his native Japan and when lured by promoters to North America. Inoki chalks up another victory for himself here in Madison Square Garden. Inoki's most celebrated matchup would come in 1976, signing to face heavyweight boxing champion Muhammad Ali in the world's first mixed martial arts super fight. I know uh, what Muhammad Ali is facing in Inoki. How are you going to defend against this guy? The contest drew unparalleled attention around the world, a feat Inoki would match two decades later. In 1995, Inoki would use his celebrity and power to bring a historic event to North Korea. Intended to promote peace, an astonishing 190,000 fans would turn out to witness Inoki face WWE Hall of Famer Ric Flair. He's using professional wrestling as bridge of peace. Inoki would retire from competition in 1998, but his impact continues to be felt to this day. World Wrestling Entertainment is honored to enshrine Antonio Inoki into the WWE Hall of Fame. This is the Pro Wrestling Spotlight, presented by Hami Media and the Pro Wrestling Reflection, where we discuss the very best of the best in pro wrestling history. And what you gonna do when Hulkamania and the largest arms in the world run wild on you? The two soundest wrestlers in the World Wrestling Federation, maybe in the history of the World Wrestling Federation, are right here, right now. Mr. Perfect and the excellence of execution, the Hitman. WrestleMania weekend isn't complete without the heartbreak kid, and he is on his way. He put hard times on Dusty Rhodes and his family. They think they got the answers. I change the question. You will rest in peace. Get used to it in Ric Flair. Who you're looking at, the man.
Inoki, Bumbaye, Inoki, Bumbaye, Inoki, Bumbaye, Inoki, Bumbaye. What is going on, Reflection Knights? Bumbaye. What is going on to the Hamin Knights? Bumbaye. What is going on to the Big Beetle Knights? Bumbaye. What is going on to all the Knights? Left, right, them, Repems. Bumbaye. Ukrainites. Russianites. Bumbaye. It's a Bumbaye. A spirit right now. It's a boom by a atmosphere. It's a boom by a for this particular PWR podcast here at the PW Hustle Networks on the YouTube. And yes, we are back. We are back on the scenes. We are back on the YouTube. We are back on the Pobbins here at the Hameen Media Group at Pobbins.com. It is I. I, 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 I. Boom by a. The quintessential stuff muffin. The man who's magnanimous. The man that is scholarly. The man that is so sexy. But most importantly, the man that is so glorious. Your friend and my professor, Chabelle Cruz. Welcoming you to a special pro wrestling spotlight. Yes, two weeks in a row here on the PWR podcast. Last week, we paid homage to the 25th anniversary of D-Generation X. And like I said on the last episode for the 12 that listen that are loyal to the cause. When this gentleman passed away, you know, at the loving age of 79, he lived a good life. But, you know, the last year or so, he was having health difficulties. So we don't have to really go into that. But it was apropos that we say goodbye, PWR style, to an icon, a Japanese icon, Japanese international sensation. Japanese wrestler, Japanese politician, the man that wanted to bring peace on earth, our friend Antonio Inoki. But before I, we, we delve into Antonio Inoki's career and his life, I must introduce my brother from another mother, the liberal conservative, the conservative liberal, the iron stomach one, Mr. Dum Dum Duel, and in its own, the... Tommy Wonder, how are you doing, my friend? Boom by I am doing I am doing well. And I didn't know we were giving out our, our dating app gimmick names, but when I was the Canadian Thunder Tommy Wonder, I was also also the British Columbia Babe Magnet. I was the Calgary Alberta Cutie Pie. I was all these things. And of course I was the Dream Date Tommy Wonder. But today is a good day because right before we went to record this, I found out that my latest crush She's replaced Gretchen Whitmer. She used to look hot in her little leather Darth Vader outfit during the COVID stuff. That was the only reason I watched her, because I definitely didn't care what she was saying. I but know my- her name. I know her name. I know her name. What's her name? Tulsi. Tulsi Go- Gabbard. Yes, I knew it. I knew it. You know, Tulsi Wonder. It's got a nice ring to it. The mm-hmm. dueling TWs. She has left the demonic, I mean the Democratic Party. And she's, I don't know if she's a Republican yet, but she has left the plantation, if you will, because she's had enough with their totalitarianism, or whatever, totalitarianism, and I'm happy that that happened. And before I get started, this is for you, Ray, even though you don't have a titter, if you, so for you 12 that don't know, That's Ray titter. loves when I do unboxing. So whenever the chance, this came in the mail today. I think I know what it is. It's not the unboxing of the pro wrestling tees, which I think is what Ray really likes. So I- inevitably, we're going to get back to just those. But just because I like to give Ray, I like to throw the dog a bone. He truly is one of my favorite people. Just, Wait, are you, he, 
It, because it was, it was Prime Day, you're unboxing a Prime box? No, because I'm an idiot. And there's this line called Ultimate Edition that I only wanted the guys I wanted, but I got Nakamura because he was $13 on Amazon once. I got, I actually got uh, Finn Balor, the demon, because I, I didn't have a demon figure. And I got that for like $17 or normally $30. And this one here, after the pay-per-view ended Saturday, I didn't watch it till Sunday, I saw this was only $24, and it's the first girl that I have. Now my friends can say I collect dolls, because mm. it's Alexa like Bliss, it. but she's going next to... I expect her going next to Bray Wyatt. The You're going to crap yourself. I've got a Kevin Owens figure. I've got mm. Cody. I, oh, I got to show this. This might be one of the coolest figures ever. Supreme Cody Rhodes. Nice. Look at that. Comes with a whole other, comes with everything but another torso. So if somebody wants to send me a torso, I can display both Cody figures. But that's mm -hmm. how you look at WrestleMania. I got that coming too. But this was only $21. I got a Cody figure. I got a Kevin Owens figure. I'm this close to getting a Sami Zayn figure. And I might even end up with a CM Punk figure. But the fact that I got this one? Strictly because it was $21. Nice. And I was like, you know, why not? It's a nice collection. I have a plan. I'm moving these things. I'm going to have them sitting in the, in the bookcase like this. And then the figure standing in front of it, out of it. Because these are easy to open and put back in. So, there you go, Ray. Cody Rhodes, The Fiend. And Alexa Bliss figures. I think that's all I got. Oh, nope. I got all, this for, all for $21.99? Well, this is $21.99 oh, each. Cody was $42.99. $41.99. Oh, boy. But look at this one. Walmart exclusive. Cowboy fit. And he's got the title belt. He didn't have it long, but he mm -hmm. had it. And that's it. That's it. That's my haul this week. Oh, and then I got Hogan and Andre the Giant showdown, but I'm not going to move those. I put those on on, TV, on uh, Facebook. Reflection, but that's it now. Reflection, I, I don't know. I mean, I know Donna Destruction loves this. I know Ray loves this, but I think we need an intervention, man. That's a lot of money. I ain't saying money's not well spent. I, again. I got more coming tomorrow, man. You're, God, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. Goddamn. <laughs> we got we got centers for this shit. We got we got action figure centers for you to you know say hi. My name is TW and I have a problem. I have I collect, a problem. I collect these figures, but neither here nor there. But again, last week, I got my, this is what they call the Holy Grail. The one Adam Cole figure I didn't have, and there's two AEW figures of him coming out. I'm gonna have them too. Cool, cool. So again, we did the unboxing. Well, it was really the unraveling or the the what what we call it? the reveal mail call. Whatever you want to call it. Here on the PWR Podcast. But again, we do that. We do everything else. But of course, TW, we got to do what we do best. We got to do the pro wrestling spotlight. And again, you know, this is our first venture, you could say, TW, because we really kind of honed in on the United States. We've honed in on, you know, the, the organizations of the United States. We've honed in on, you know, the NWA, WWF, and all points in between, USWA, world class. We've done it all. But we've rarely, rarely, rarely talked about Japan. So, you know, it's apropos, you could say, that we would talk about one of the greatest 
legends in Japanese wrestling history. There is a Mount Rushmore TW, and there's only three. And Anoki is on it. And there's no, you know, for real diehard wrestling fans, and I'm talking about American wrestling fans, because I, I cannot speak for Japanese fans, because that culture of the wrestling fandom is so different, it's so respectful and all that stuff. But American wrestling fans, TW, I think if you put litmus test on one, two, and three, depending on how much you know about Ricky Dozan, I think he's number three. And this is on the American side. Number two would be Giant Baba. And number one here in America probably is Antonio Inoki. What say you about that? Maybe you I would, have a different I, feel. I would agree with you that, that Giant Baba's on there. Inoki, Baba, for sure. Ricky, didn't Hogan wrestle that guy? Ricky Tones on, whatever you said his name no. was? Hogan fought and Hogan wrestled Inoki and Baba. At the and time. he wrestled this other guy who I think would be on that Mount Rushmore, Tenru is a guy I think American wrestling fans are familiar with because he's well, done I, Royal I'm not, I'm not talking about, you know, the great, you know, the top ten. You, you got Muda, you got Chono, no, you no, got no. Tenru, I, you got Fujinami. I get Muda, that. Muda would be on every American yeah. wrestling fan's Japanese Mount Rushmore. Right. There's no doubt in my mind. But I'm, I'm talking about the scale of the Japanese fandom. I'm talking about the scale of, of, of the fandom that people know, like, these three, these three alone, Change the face of professional wrestling. Of course, you without in these in, in Japan, but they have, and we'll talk about this on the. Oh, you're saying you're saying, if, as an American, what they did over there, not as right an on the did. impact they had on Japan and the impact that they brought to America because of them. If it wasn't for these, right? If it wasn't for say Tenru, I would say Tenru because Tenru did stuff over there and and over here too. That's why they brought him here for a Royal Rumble or a one-off thing is because he was a big deal over there. And uh, I think now if you go 20 years from now, obviously Okada is going to be somebody that somebody puts in there. Hell, you're going to put someone like Kenny Omega on it because he did most of the stuff he did in Japan before he came over here and did the well, AEW stuff. Guidance don't count. you got to be you know 100% in the Giant Japanese Baba, scale. Giant Baba, because I, I remember reading magazines, Giant Baba, because I think, they would call him the Andre the Giant of 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 Japan, and they mm -hmm. didn't they wrestle each other, Giant Baba and Andre the Giant, or team they together. Wrestled, they team together, but yeah. uh, we'll talk we'll talk about that in a second. So, like I said, in my humble opinion, on impact alone, again, I understand about Tenru, Fujinami, Muda. That's a different class of tiers. Kabuki, Kabuki, Suzuki. I got you. I got you. I'm again. But I missed our question. I misunderstood the question. Mm -hmm. I thought you meant in Japan. You don't. You're not talking about that. You're talking about over here, who Americans say are the best Japanese. Right. Again, it's it's very subjective. But I think what the professor is trying to say is that the impact of these three, and you can put them on any like tier. And you're not wrong if it's Baba first, Anoki second. It's and Anoki on. Anoki's number one. It's no, not even. Again, it, it could. It's very Did subjective. Baba fight Muhammad Ali. Well, we'll talk about that because, oh, you know, I know we'll talk, right. we'll, we'll talk about that in a second. I could have picked Inoki out in a lineup when I was 10 years old. That's how he was, to me, it, at least that's what it looked like over here. He was the Hulk Hogan of Japan mm -hmm. when Hulk Hogan was the Hulk Hogan of America. So, well, and then Giant Baba me, is someone that I found out about after that, oh, but probably okay. because of that. 
let me ask you this question, and then we'll kind of, I'll kind of like spotlight certain instances of Con- well, first of all, his real government name is Kanji Inoki. Do you know how he got the name? Because he put the name Antonio on his, on himself. He named right. himself Antonio Inoki. So did you know where he his influence of that name Rocka. came from? Antonio Rocca. Right. That was his idol. That was his wrestling idol. And he was paying homage. That was a guess. Ant- right. <laughs> but you 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 was so you hit the nail on the head. But let me ask you this question, because you kind of said it a little bit there, but what made TW find out about Antonio Inoki? Where, besides the aftermaths, of course, everybody found the aftermaths. Was there a, a spot show that you might have saw him in, in the Detroit Rock City area, or nope. was it more of the TV, or was it the magazines? It, it would, it would have to be. It was magazines, is why I knew who he was to begin with. And then I want to say it was probably like a slamboree or something like that where they honored veterans, and Inoki was on a NWA or WCW thing, but he was already older by then. But yeah. that's where I saw him on video for the first time. Like, mm-hmm. But he wasn't really wrestling. Right. Um, these matches that you sent me is my first time ever watching him wrestle. I've seen right. him a million times in pictures. I've seen uh, interviews. I, I don't want to say I've seen interviews because I, I, I watching this stuff and him talking on a microphone, I, I'm like, I don't even know that those are words. Like, it made me think, like, I'm trying to learn Spanish, so I know Spanish is words. It's just spelled different than American words, but they're still words, right? Different dialect, different conversations, yes. Right. But Japanese, Chinese, uh, Arabic, that, that stuff's art. It's not even, like, you couldn't do a crossword puzzle with those languages because it's like, hieroglyphics or whatever that word is you're not looking at words and when they talk it's just like first of all it's 100 miles an hour which i'm sure to them i sound like i'm talking 100 miles an hour when they don't know english but it's just i felt like he was just going and i'm like okay because i got questions for the first match you asked me asked me to watch i'm watching it and going what is happening here i I feel like he just hoed his student out or something, but I couldn't figure out what was happening out because it was all Japanese. Mm-hmm. Well, again, for the reflection, we're going to try our best to educate the masses because, again, Antonio Noki's life and actually wrestling career, you know, I have a greater deal of respect for Antonio Noki. The matches are, you know, it's fly shit to me. You know, I've already known Antonio Noki via the Muhammad Ali and and being a young person I've heard I heard about it that match I didn't see it of course it was 1977 I was born in 77 but I right. heard about it right the magazines helped and of course he did appear in Madison Square Garden a couple of times and we'll get into that a little bit later here so I'm going to do my best here so Antonio Inoki Kanji Inoki he went to Brazil and met his I guess you could say his teacher you know his uh, Yoda, if you will, reflection nights, Ricky Dozan in Brazil. And he started to learn the styles of professional wrestling, but also he was astute in the styles of martial arts because it's very apropos, TW, that Antonio Noki incorporated professional wrestling, mixed martial arts. So he was a, he was already ahead of his time. It was almost like he was he had a vision of not only, like let's say, the movie Bloodsport with Jean-Claude Van Damme and that kind of atmosphere of real sport competition, but of course UFC and all that stuff. So with the mixed martial arts, what's say UTW? Because I think Antonio Noki in his, he was almost like, has that Vince McMahon mind even learning under Ricky Dozan. So what's say you about that? Because I think he had, he had a vision of 
how he wanted to present not only professional wrestling, but I think just sports in general, and then make a hybrid of, of things. What's safe? Well, this isn't the match I'm referring to because it wasn't first, but we've already mentioned it a couple times. But the the match with with uh, Muhammad Ali, I'm mm-hmm. almost certain it was a work. I, I, it had to be like just for what it was, it had to be a work. But mm-hmm. I think in 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 total, with all the matches you did have me watch. Uh, I think he wanted it to look like a shoot, like it was a real fight. And mm-hmm. so, like, I, I got stuck thinking to myself while I'm watching it, like, man, he couldn't have been happy with how wrestling is over there now versus how it was when he was doing it because it was very little stuff off the ropes. I mean, I don't want to give away the names of some of the guys you had me watching, but the one 30-minute match you had me watch – they're running off the ropes all day, and in the other matches, he didn't run off the ropes ever in the other ones. And and he did the crab defense, which I've seen in UFC, where a guy lays on his back and just kicks his feet up at the guy standing. But what mm-hmm. I didn't understand was, if it was a shoot, Inoki would have also been wearing boxing gloves. Because there's a, there's a spot, it has to be, where he trips up Muhammad Ali with his feet, and as they get up, it looks like he shoots punches at him but misses and all i thought is if he connects with that punch with a bare hand how's that fair to muhammad ali i get it the gimmick is he's got Mm -hmm. boxer's hands but then why isn't inoki's feet taped up so that they don't hurt as bad there were a couple welts on muhammad ali's legs Mm -hmm. um but i bet you they just agreed to lay it into each other to make it look real because they probably plan on making a run of this, not probably having one match, but it was so boring. Like if you're if you're gonna be honest, there's a reason the clip you sent me is condensed. It's nine rounds of crab, is what it is. Mm-hmm. And every now and again there's some excitement. But what blew me away was the fans were in from start to finish. It wasn't that typical quiet Japanese crowd sitting on their hands. They were going bananas the whole match. They were they popped for every little thing, like, oh, like a boxing match. I used to watch boxing as a kid. It's kind mm-hmm. of a dull little whatever when they're bobbing and weaving. And then when they start throwing punches, you feel the atmosphere change in the room of the fans because they're like, oh, we're about to see a knockout. And then they don't, and they relax again. Ebb and flow. And, right. and this whole match had ebb and flow. And all I thought was, man, these guys made it look like it was a shoot but also never lost the audience. It lost me. It was boring as hell to me, but, but that well, audience board. Well, whether it was a shoot or anything, but this was a great publicity stunt for Antonio Inoki, because right. again, right. what you're talking about reflection that's happened in 1976 actually correlates to what I'm going to say, TW. So hold your thoughts of everything you said about uh, that particular match. Cause that's what I want to talk about that first. We'll talk about Andre the giant. We'll talk about Hulk Hogan. We'll talk about Ric Flair after that. Cool with you. Yep. All right, because Antonio Inoki reflectionized. I don't think a lot of people. I, I knew him as a cultural icon. You could say I knew him as this Japanese. You know, like I said, this this is the Mount Rushmore. One of the Mount Rushmores of Japanese pro wrestling. Again, I, like I said, it's him, Ricky Dozan, Giant Baba. No matter what, that's your three. That's your three Mount Rushmore guys. In the early sixties, right. TW Antonio Inoki was working with uh was working under Ricky Dozon's promotion. It wasn't New Japan Pro Wrestling, it was called the JWA. I forgot what the JWA meant. But it, it's funny TW because Antonio Noki wasn't the star. The star was Giant Baba. 
So it felt like Giant Baba was like Hulk Hogan and Antonio Noki was like, and I'm trying to put the analogy for American uh, fans here. Maybe Noki felt like he was Macho Man Randy Savage. He was big, <laughs> but not big enough because people gravitated more to Giant Baba, T.W. So, he was you know, the attraction. He was the attraction because Giant Baba was already seven feet tall. And just like Andre in the, in the 70s, Baba was big, but athletic enough. So that was a bigger attraction. Giant Baba himself made it leaps and bounds. Was more of the was the first guy of Japanese descent to really cross over to the wrestling uh, fandom here in America via the NWA, via the National Wrestling Alliance Syndicate, where Giant Baba would become multiple time, not multiple, uh, I believe multiple time tag team champions, and I think once or twice was an NWA World Heavyweight Champion. I can't, re- I don't remember off the top of my head, but he was a former NWA Heavyweight Champion, which Antonio Inoki wasn't. Number one. So what did Antonio Noki do, Reflectionites? This is very shrewd, but it shows you, like, he was thinking ahead. He was thinking ahead like a businessman. He was thinking ahead like Vince McMahon. He bought a promotion in America. <laughs> he bought a promotion. It was either, this, I forget in my notes, it was either Detroit or in Buffalo. If you didn't hear about it in Detroit, so most likely it was Buffalo. It was called the well, NWA. You- in this, in this, in the late '60s, early '70s, no, dude, my parents were still kids then. What are you talking about? I'm just saying. I'm just saying. I've heard of it. In your fandom, in your wrestling historian fandom. But anyway, neither here nor there. I don't think it's here. But he bought a promotion called the NWF in America. Very shrewd, and of course, did like uh, Fritz von Erich, did like Jared King Lawler. When you own your territory, when you own your company, what do you do, TW? You make yourself the champion. So while he was making himself a champion here in the United States of America, because he was multiple-time NWF heavyweight champion, what did this do? You know, while there's no tape trading, TW, the word got to Japan. So, you know, when he goes back to Japan, he's not he's not technically second fill to giant Baba because now he's got his own street cred. If you understand what I mean? Right, so he's, right. he's working hard for that. And when he comes back to Japan, he's on equal footing. So now it's like Hulk Hogan. And now Antonio Noki doesn't turn into macho man. He turns into Ric Flair. So it's like two different entities, TW. So let's say you about this because Antonio Noki had to work to get his stardom. And he, he did it. This is, if this is paying your dues, because you know, Japanese wrestling, there's a tradition reflection that's called, you know, doing an excursion. Excursions mean you're building up your rep. So when you go back to Japan, you come back bigger, bigger in stature, bigger, bigger in celebrity and for Japanese wrestling fans. Baba did. Baba really didn't have to ex- do the excursion because, like you said, T.W., he's an attraction. Antonio Noki, with his size and his style, he, he gained the street crest. What's A.T.W.? He, it's funny because he, I always thought he was bigger than he is, like not stature, but his physical, whatever. I always thought he was this big dude, and and, and in the ring with Muhammad Ali wasn't that big, but he didn't look that small in there against Andre or Hogan. Like uh, there was just something about him. But another thing was he was surrounded by. I mean, it felt like every match Jimmy watched, there was like thirty guys in there with him, and they were all up to his neck. Like they were all short. So I think he was big for 
for Japanese, obviously not Giant Baba big, but uh, mm-hmm. but yeah, he he, it's work ethic, man. It's like you can't teach that, right? Like some people were born with it, and some people aren't, and some people are born with it and no drive. Some people are growing with drive and no it. The guy with drive and no it is probably gonna make it before the guy with it and no drive, right? Does that make any right. sense? Mm-hmm. This dude was hell bent for leather. It's one of my favorite sayings. I don't know what it came from or what it means, but he was hell bent for leather. And and here we are talking about the guy because he passed away at seventy nine. And today being the first time I ever watched him wrestle ever. And and I do know this. It's it's like you said that Japanese audience is a different animal, right? And I think coming over here doing whatever you know your skirt whatever. I I think the reason they respect it is Japan respects so much American things right music i mean all the glam bands that i listen to are still huge in japan that's that's my favorite part about them they don't turn on you like american fans once they're a fan of yours they're a fan of yours now obviously heel face turns are different but they still respect you right and there's a reason guys like giant baba and antonio and great muda and whoever else can wrestle well into their 50s and 60s because people mm-hmm. are grateful for them and they're happy to see them. And they're not out there embarrassing themselves either, right? Like Luthez. Right. Luthez was 107 years old still wrestling. But he didn't look like a 107-year-old out there wrestling. He looked like... He you know what's funny? Inoki fought Luthez in the 70s. I, I wouldn't doubt it. And Luthez mm-hmm. probably 70 when it happened. And they probably <laughs> still match. And they yeah, it, still appreciated it. It's just... You know, like you said, and, I, you know, you started talking about it earlier about the politics part. I think that's another reason why he wasn't over here more is because he was part of the the parliament or whatever it's called over there in Japan. Like, mm-hmm. there was political reasons why he was mostly in Japan and not here in the later days, right? Like, right. Um, and, and I'm, I mean, I'm certain WWF talked about him. It wasn't just NWA that I saw him on, but NWA mm-hmm. was the first thing I saw him on live, not well, like. You're, talk, you're talking about the slamboree of WCW where he fought Stephen Regal on pay-per-view. So, yes. So, he did He did wrestle there. He did wrestle there. Yeah. Special attraction against Stephen Re- William yep. Regal, whatever you want to call him. But he did right. fight him in 1994, if I remember. So, let me try to put a bow on Inoki because after the excursion, so I'm just trying to give you that, came back. Again, the street cred was already there. So now he did, he turned from savage to flair, even though that's really, to, to us, not, not that nothing different. But on the scale, TW, it is big if you turn from savage to flair because now you're on equal footing with Jai Baba. Funny enough, before both Baba and Inoki had the itch to start their to actually run a promotion, they wanted to run the JWA. One of them wanted to run the JWA, but, of course, Baba and Inoki, TW, there was, I wouldn't say professional jealousy, but of course there is that professional, like, uh, this competition with that professionalism, T.W., because, again, you're trying to, you want to be the number one guy, no matter where you are. If it's J.W.A., then it folded because of, you know, politics, if backstage issues, and, of course, money, and, of course, Ricky Dozon, you know, died uh, a couple of years later after the excursion and then coming back, but... but during that, the second time they both came back, Baba and Inoki were multiple-time NWA international tag team champions. So, again, that that NWA connection is there for Inoki, too, but not the heavyweight title, but neither here nor there. But I just want to say Baba and Inoki were tag team champions. 
They were popular. Of course, you know, Japanese panties were flying in the ring. No matter what, flowers and panties. That's what it was in those days. But, again, both of them had the itch to start their own promotions. Baba started All Japan Wrestling. And in 1972, if I'm 71 or 72, if I'm right, Antonio Inoki started New Japan Pro Wrestling, TW's favorite wrestling promotion other than NXT. But, again, <laughs> I want to talk about before we talk about Muhammad Ali, TW, because there's a, the style that, again, I want to reiterate the style that Inoki wanted to present with uh, New Japan Pro Wrestling because there's a very big subtlety difference. Because of Baba's popularity. Contracting work, con- contrasting work. Yeah. Very big, subtly. Yeah. <laughs> but but anyway, Baba, since he was more in the NWA tree, in the NWA syndicate, Baba's organization was very popular in the sense of getting more American noticeable gaijin wrestlers to that organization. So what did Antonio Noki do? Of course he got his own gaijins as the years waned on. But before that, since he's going to be the man in his own place, like, again, he understands that rule of thumb, you know, you trust yourself, he's going to be the champion and all that stuff. He had to present a different style. Again, I, like I want to reiterate, mixed martial arts, uh, karate, you know, kickboxing, and professional wrestling, he had a hybrid. So most of his matches, T.W., the funny thing about an Antonio Noki match, and then we'll, we can then talk about 1976 because that's very prevalent. Because many matches in Antonio Noki's career in New Japan Pro Wrestling, especially in the 70s, a lot. If you really, I didn't. There's matches I didn't even give you. There's a there's a match against with Antonio Noki against the great Antonio. That was a sh- legit shoot. Uh-huh, Antonio yeah. Noki matches. Sometimes to the trained eye, you're saying to yourself, because you actually said it with the Muhammad Ali, is it a work or is it a shoot? Some people were very intrigued about Antonio Noki matches because you couldn't tell. Because Antonio Noki made it made the shit look real. And of course, if you didn't follow what Antonio Noki wanted you to do, he was gonna beat the shit out of you. He made so, you do it. He made you do it. Yeah. So he legit within the match makes it a shoot, making someone like the great Antonio, he beat the shit out of a 400-pound guy who didn't want to sell to Antonio Noki. I just wanted to say that, T.W. So now, let's talk about, again, the vision of Antonio Noki in 1976, partnering up with boxing legend, boxing icon, the greatest of all time, Muhammad. Shut up. Muhammad Ali. This was a pay-per-view success. Well, it it wasn't pay-per-views. It was a closed-circuit TV success. It was in Tokyo, Japan, in the Budokan Hall. For 70s economics, TW, this this pay-per-view, let's just call it a pay-per-view, this would have made $100 This would have made $150 with the economics of today. This (laughs) made a whole bunch of money. And you said it yourself, you was bored. Conveniently enough, you know, the critics actually, even in Japan, guess what they were chanting in Japanese? We want our money back. Really? Yes. They were disappointed with Antonio Noki spending 15 rounds on it, mostly on his back, kicking Muhammad Ali's leg. Because, again, Antonio Noki's mission, Reflectionites, was to say that his hybrid style, 
but mostly, you know, let's just say if we put on a pizza pie, t- TW, mm-hmm. 70% of it was professional wrestling. Then the other percentages is mixed martial arts, kickboxing, yada, yada, yada. But he wanted to make sure that professional wrestling was the most dominant, quote-unquote, air quotes, TW, sport there is in the world. So he wanted to prove a point against Muhammad Ali. So now let's talk about the 1976 pay-per-view. It was a financial success, but, you know, it's like it's like that movie that you want to see, but then once you see the movie, it might have made all that money, but then you're like, damn, I want my money back. This is this movie sucks. So now let's talk about the talk about the match in general again. The hype was there. You got the ultimate hype man, Muhammad Ali, against Japanese sensation Antonio Noki. So for the American fans, you didn't pay for Antonio Noki because again, we didn't have social media, we didn't have Titter, <laughs> we didn't have Twitter, we didn't have, you know take trading to the, to the umpteenth degree. So a lot of people are like, who is this Japanese guy? So, you know, people thought this was an exhibition on Muhammad Ali's part. I think it was, it was a, it was a joint venture, but again, Japanese fans knew about Anoki and Japanese fans knew about Muhammad Ali more. So again, and Anoki was going to be, I don't want to call him second fiddle. He was technically a little second fiddle to Muhammad Ali. So that I think we can give all praises to Allah in Muhammad Ali garnering most of the the pie most of the the revenue here so now tw in my i think again anoki is very i guess you could say a traditionalist because he wants to protect professional wrestling he wants to protect what he learned from ricky dozan what was that he's a kayfabus he's a kayfabus so tw now that you look at it with everything i said do you believe this was a shoot this was a work or did did you see elements of the shoot? Um, I think I think at the end of the day, after I watch it, and I watched it all, um, mm-hmm. twenty one minutes, but it was condensed. Um, there's a spot that happens where there's a couple times where he slips, and I don't know if Antonio's left handed or right, but that punch that I talked about earlier, he threw, he threw with his left hand and he missed. Mm-hmm. But I just remember thinking that right there told me this is not a shoot because. If it was a shoot, there's no way Muhammad Ali agrees to wear boxing gloves and take bare, his, bare fists to the face. Because in mm-hmm. fairness to him, he's not getting hit with bare knuckles in the boxing ring. He's getting hit with, you know, the 20-ounce gloves or whatever they are, 8-ounce gloves. There's another spot where Antonio's doing a bicycle kick, backs him into the corner, and mm-hmm. Muhammad Ali holds himself up in the corner, almost heelish, like Piper, like staving off Antonio, whereas if it was a shoot, mm-hmm. he would have literally picked himself up and then jumped and stomped on Antonio Inoki while he's laying on the ground. He would have cleared his legs because he was in the corner. So I saw enough that I thought, okay, it's a work, but I think they agreed, Travis will tell you, they laid into each other and said, hey, no matter how hard we hit out there, we're brothers when we get to the back. And they went out there and because there was marks on Muhammad Ali's legs. Couple, couple of them kicks looked real. But Muhammad Ali. If I remember, well, if I remember correctly, my, those kicks yeah. caused a blood clot in, one yes. of his, in, in his yes. leg. So his left leg, he had a, he like, like a varicose vein sticking out of it and they were icing it down. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but Muhammad Ali never threw punches. 
Like, he, he, he was on he was on his back. So he was, stood up. They did a couple stand ups where he didn't even try to punch him, and then he would do like a little drop kick to the knee or whatever. And that's mm-hmm. what I think made it look real. Like you said, he he didn't get a good shot. Like he was waiting for the perfect shot. But even ten rounds in, if it's a shoot fight, at some point Muhammad Ali's pride's kicking in, and he's going, "I gotta knock this guy out." Like Floyd Merriweather and Logan Paul. Floyd tried knocking him out in the end, right? Because he's thinking, I can't not win. Like, mm-hmm. it, Logan had nothing to lose. He, If he doesn't win, nobody expected him to. If he does win, holy hell. But if he doesn't get knocked out, which we all know Floyd's not a knockout fighter, right? He's a hugger and whatever. And yeah. uh, they've chanted they want their money back for his fights. But at the end of the day, Muhammad Ali didn't do enough to me to say his pride needed that win. So it told me it wasn't a legit win for him to have. You know what I mean? It wasn't, like, it wasn't a win. It was technically a draw for both. So nobody... No, they but didn't I'm, lose saying, I'm saying bragging rights. If you mm-hmm. got wrestler versus boxer, both guys should want to win for their respective sport, right? At mm-hmm. the time, wrestling was a sport. It wasn't sports entertainment. Antonio Inoki looked like he was trying to win the whole time. Muhammad mm-hmm. Ali kept going, Antonio, girl, Antonio, girl, you're a girl, you're a girl. He was more showmanship, right? Right. And I, if I'm not mistaken, Muhammad Ali is a huge wrestling fan, he, like he always was. And so I think for him, just being part of it was the payday, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, right. oh, and I don't know if he knew who Antonio Inoki was, but he did after that, yeah. you know? I don't, again... You know, Muhammad Ali in the 70s was getting all the money he needed because, again, he lost like three three years out of his career because of the draft issue and, right. and his principles and his his religion and all that stuff. So he, he was fighting the fight. So, But Anoki, again, was building his street credit. He was building – again, he was a visionary for what he, he thought the presentation of sport is. I'm not saying wrestling, just sport. Sport oh, no, he was, and competition. It was absolutely sport, for sure. Yeah, so, you know who so, he reminds me of? Which is not fair to say he reminds me of him. It should be the other way around. The okay. more I watched him, the more matches. He reminded me of uh, Alberto Del Rio. Like, he just, he had that mm-hmm. look and that style. Like, and, and he was an MMA guy. He, he MMA right. with a mask. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's insane. He got knocked out, but he... Yeah. He, he got him. fucked up with, him, with yeah. his mask on. That's why... That's why he took off the mask in, in wrestling, but, you know, right. neither here nor there. But now, since we talked about the exhibition, if you want to call it, T.W., now we could talk about some of the matches. Again, he's had a long story career reflection. Again, I don't want to bore you. It would be a, like a five-hour show. And, you know, Anoki, we're giving Anoki, I think we're giving Anoki enough for somebody because of what we learned about it, his hard right. work. We learned about, you know, when you go through the excursions, Reflection Nights, and coming back to Japan, again, you got to, TW, before we talk about the next match, because I want you to focus on Andre the Giant. But anyway, but again, we have to really talk about this. Now with New Japan Pro Wrestling, again, he had the, you know, the, the, the perils of All Japan. Again, All Japan was like, I would say, and I'm being nice here, All Japan was like WWE. New Japan was like WCW. It's still big, but wasn't big in comparison to All Japan. Is New All Japan, Japan what IWGP is now, or is it just no? All- it was it was it was IWGP with New Japan and all that stuff. So, but All Japan had a lot more cred. Right. I'm trying to give it in that in that spectrum until New Japan took over and all that stuff. It took a it, I probably took a 
until the 90s for New Japan to overtake all Japan and all that stuff. Again, it's leadership and all that stuff. And then New Japan went to heights after Anoki uh, sold his shares of New Japan to a, a video game company in the 2000s. And now we know that New Japan is the WWE of Japan. So, again, for the time, TW, when Jai Baba was in his prime, his organization was WWE. And, again, Flair, he was... Anoki was the flair, and it was WCW, so I'm just trying to give that. But, again, now let's talk about one of uh, his, I wouldn't say greatest opponents, TW, but most, he fought him a lot of times. And the one thing that I, I knew about this, thanks to YouTube, not thanks to the Aftermax, more thanks to YouTube in the 2000s, you know, when New 2 was getting more, and I was watch, and I was bored with today's wrestling, so I went back. You know, you ever saw those uh, video clips of the rust, the real wrestlers who slammed Andre the Giant? No, I'm sure they're out there, yeah. There's a list of whole... Antonio Inoki was one of the first, not the first, but one of the first, to slam Andre the Giant in the 70s. But I'm going to say something here. But, no, but, wait, wait, hold on, hold on. Now, let's talk about the match. I think this was in the mid-70s that I showed you between Antonio Inoki and Andre the Giant. Now, the presentation of Andre the Giant is different, Reflection Ice, if you did not know this. But I think if you're a hardcore fan, of course, the 12 that are loyal to the cause should know this. Andre the Giant was presented as Bigfoot. Andre the Giant was presented like a grizzly bear. He was a mean mug motherfucker, and he, he, made, he, he loved it. He loved to scare kids. He loved to scare women. And it took Antonio Inoki to be that 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 valiant hero to represent. The, it wasn't like Jap, uh, Japan against France or or Japan against America, whatever the case may be. It was just David Remember, against Goliath. Ember's monster. Right. It was a, it was healthy. It was it was like Jack and the Beanstalk type of uh, booking, if you will. David so now, and Goliath. How do we yeah, forget David, David and Goliath? I did say David and Goliath, but oh, I wanted to say Jack. Yeah, but I wanted to say Jack. I wanted to give all the analogies that the professor can think. But now, what did you want to say? I didn't want. I I'm sorry. So, in fairness to Hogan, mm -hmm. right? These guys, the only one that slammed Andre in the same shape Andre was in when Hogan did was John Studd, right? Mm, if I remember my listings, Inoki was one, Hogan was one, Kamala was one. No, no, no. no. Give you, no, no, no. Let I'm me give you the name. About 525 pound Andre the Giant. The Andre the Giant 1970 that Inoki slammed. Inoki, Inoki slammed him in the 80s when he was 500 pounds. Too. Oh, okay. If he now, was it, a, was it a pristine slam? No. But he, he did like the Lex Luger, Yokozuna type of slam. But he Hogan did. rotated. Hogan mm -hmm. rotated. Right. So... But but a lot of these guys claiming they slammed him first, that's great. But he was a tall, lanky, Dustin Rhodes build looking dude when he got slammed. Not <laughs> the just giant mass of humanity that he was and he could barely move or help you do it. Mm -hmm. Hogan sure. said it. I don't know if it's just he's working you for, for 35 years, but he said he tore uh, his rotator cuff on that body slam, like doing the rotation. Mm -hmm. I think it was a rotator cuff. He he hurt something, but he mm -hmm. did it, and that's because he did it the hard way. Andre didn't pivot on his hip. He tried, but he was was too far away. He's down there pivoting on the ground because mm -hmm. he was so big. But uh, but yeah, I, I and again, if it didn't happen on TV, it didn't happen. We all know that, and I'm pretty sure the Warriors slammed him too. So yeah, 
You slam the knees. But let's get back to the Inoki versus Andre the Giant fight. Again, the presentation is David versus Goliath. So what say you about seeing this match, seeing, you know, how the fans gravitated, of course, to Inoki. And, of course, they were fearful, if you will, of Andre the Giant. So here's where I get lost. It starts off, and one of his students is getting ready to wrestle. And then Inoki kicks him in the back of the leg. So I don't know if it was supposed to be the student versus Andre and, and Inoki kicked the student so he could take his place or if the student was supposed to wrestle Inoki and he's like, not today, I want that monster. I couldn't tell. And then I tried listening for a pop from the crowd when Andre come out. It's such bad quality that I never heard it. Um, so it didn't seem like it was a surprise. It felt like they knew he was coming out. Um, mm-hmm. That's when Inoki took the microphone and said, yeah, 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 yeah. Ooh, da, ha, da, ha, da, ha, da. And I'm like, all right. He's just jabber John. Um, but this is what I will say. Hulk Hogan did not do this. Um, the Ultimate Warrior probably attempted to do it and got punched in his ding-ding for his troubles. But the thing that blew me away in this match was Andre throws Inoki into the corner, charges mm-hmm. in, ducks down like he's going to kill him, and Inoki did water under the bridge, sunset flip. And got him over and pinned him. And I thought it was going to be the finish. And I was like, what? Did he just, he just, basically it's a slow motion Canadian destroyer, right? But it's. Well, or Japanese, Japanese destroyer. Yeah. But uh, it blew my mind that Andre took that bump. Vince would have lost his crap in the back. No, you don't take no sunset flip, boy. What's wrong with you? To be foul. This is the seventies. Okay. Sinoki. <laughs> well, to be fair, in two instances, it is Anoki's promotion. Right. And two, Vince McMahon Jr. wasn't the boss. It was Vince McMahon Sr. And Vince McMahon Sr. <laughs> knew that he had a money train. Cause I will say this, this is just me. The biggest attractions in wrestling in the seventies was the NWA world champion and Andre the Giant. Dusty Rose. Well, again, I'm just talking about attraction. And Dusty Rhodes, you could say, but I don't know. Again, this is mid-70s, so Dusty Rhodes hasn't established that American dream. Just perfectly yet. And when Dusty was on the bill, it was a sold-out show. No, no, I I get you. I'm just saying, but the two money-making attractions is the NWA champion going to the towns, money-wise. I'm talking money-wise. I'm not talking about fan-wise. Of course, Dusty Drew. I'm not giving. I'm not denying that. I'm just saying Andre and the NWA World Champion. When it mattered, and Mitch. Then Moolah is an attraction too. So Midget and Moolah too. So that's the four biggest attractions in wrestling in the '70s. So were you surprised at a? No- well, let me ask you this because we don't have, really have to talk about who wins and losses. It's not about that. It's more about the style, the, the style of collaboration. Remember, was it a draw? I don't even remember who won. It's hard because, you know, because of the Japanese commentary, you didn't know what happened. And I, right. and even for me, the professor, I don't know every language in, in, in on this planet Earth. Oh, damn, Houston won. Fuck them. But anyway, I'm watching the game. But uh, anyway, he, let's talk about the collaboration, the chemistry. The Yankees? No, Houston just beat the Seattle uh, Mariners in game one off with a three-run home run. But anyway, neither here nor there. But what say you, T.W., about the collaboration of, not styles, but just the chemistry between Inoki and Andre the Giant? Because Inoki is six, maybe six four, six five, two thirty, two thirty, two two forty five. 240. <laughs> but he's oh, athletic. He or 6'5". So he is tall, like I thought. But yeah. he just 
He just he looks like Bret Hart more than mm-hmm. he looks like Hulk Hogan. Is and, and Andre in the seventies is seven three. 460, maybe 470-ish pounds. So what's say about this? Probably really 380, 390. Because okay. he's he's moved. He got one knee pad on that I thought was a, a piece of tape that was messed mm-hmm. up on this right. YouTube reel. But it, it was a knee pad. Um, mm-hmm. it, it absolutely bored me to death. However, there were spots that I was like, whoa, you know? Like I had to mm-hmm. keep rewinding it because I'm like, did I just see that? Andre was working legs. Andre was working headlocks. Andre was working arms. And I was like, wow, they're, they're actually working. And and it, it makes sense to me that this would be 70s because I just assumed it was 80s, um, mm-hmm. early 80s. But it makes sense to me that it was the 70s because it's still the 60s style of wrestling, the, the wrestling that is so boring that when a guy does a hip toss, he gets a three count because people are like, whoa, he took him mm-hmm. off his feet, you know, or a drop kick. Right. Got you to three count because it's a lot of, dare I say, collegiate style wrestling where you're just kind of wrenching on an arm or a neck or whatever and trying to get these pins. Um, it's very, very different from today's wrestling and bored to death, but it's a catch-22. As boring as it was, it was also refreshing to see Andre go. Like, mm-hmm. he wasn't just lumbering around Frankenstein style. Like, that's the thing about the big show. Early Big Show when he's Paul White or the Giant, the dude did drop kicks off the top rope, man. Like he was right. He was like I'm gonna work, you know. And I always appreciated about him. But once you get up to the weight that he inevitably got to, and Andre got into, what are you gonna do? Now you're just the attraction, and it's sad. But they didn't make the money then that they make now, where you could just call it a day, like Great Khali. <laughs> wow. Well, you know, Andre <laughs> did put in the. To be, to be fair, Andre did put in that work in Japan, even in the 80s, even when he was debilitating, even with his health. So neither here nor there. So let's talk about another spotlight match here on this pro wrestling spotlight of Antonio Anoki. In the 80s, if you will, Antonio Anoki and New Japan pro wrestling, I ain't saying this flourishing, but again, now you're getting some gaijins. Now you're getting, now he, he's getting the, those people like Baba did with the NWA. But what a coup, because in the 80s, Antonio Noki got into his organization, the incredible Hulk Hogan. And when Hulk Hogan, he was making money with his Japan tours before the, the Hulkamania really flourished in the WWF in 1984. Before that, TW, Hulkamania wasn't Hulkamania, but the incredible Hulk Hogan was venturing between AWA and Japan especially New Japan. I think he might have did All Japan here and there, but we're not talking about any All Japan matches. We're talking about the, this was a legit, let's just say, respected feud between Antonio Inoki and, and in, the incredible Hulk Hogan because Hulk Hogan actually won one of his tournaments. The We'll call it the, uh, the G1 type of tournament. It wasn't called the G1 back then, but Hogan won one of those New Japan tournaments, of course. Antonio Noki, when he sees talent, T.W., he has to f- let it flourish. And being 6'8", 300 pounds, Hulk Hogan with the flowing blonde hair, you got to take advantage. And, of course, Andre might have been slow, you know, is getting up there with his weight, getting up there with the health. Hogan was in his prime. So it would behoove Antonio Noki not to say, I've got to work with that young 
young Gaijin. What say you about the match that I had you watch? Probably was 1982-83-ish. I can't give you the exact year, but they've had... It look again, this is one of those matches where Antonio Noki makes it look like a shoot, but also he built he kind of tells the story of like these big motherfuckers like Hogan, big motherfuckers like Andre the Giant. They put a hurt into him. And the, the fans, whether they scream or they stay quiet, they are invested in Antonio Noki and they worry about Antonio Noki. This was one of these matches here against Hulk Hogan where Antonio Noki's on the floor, and you got a whole bunch of his entourage trying to, you know, care for him. So yeah. he wants to make people, because what I bet, I bet you money, TW, and I'm not, I'm not saying I know this for a fact, but again, when he presents this like a sport, when he presents this like real competition, I bet you money this was on, let's say, the six o'clock Japanese news. So what say oh. you about this match between Antonio Anoki and the incredible Hulk Hogan? This was the match that I think was Antonio's best because there's times where you see he absolutely manhandles Hogan. Hogan puts a headlock on him. Next thing you know, Hogan's in the air, taking a suplex, and then Hogan sells it because what else is he going to do? Because mm -hmm. you could tell Hogan was putting him in the headlock to either rest or to a spot. And it was like you could tell he picked him up the hard way. It wasn't like Hogan was ready to go up, but he took mm -hmm. care of him. Landed on his back. Hogan sold it. Um, then Hogan would do his punches. Hogan was doing running knees. He was doing running, like, Lex Luger's forearm finish. Uh, Hogan looked like a million bucks. It was a long match, um, mm -hmm. but he had him in headlocks. He, he was working legs. He was working. I think you're going to think the, the last match we talk about is the best match, and it, it was good, too, but it's also 10 more years later where he's 10 more years older so it's not, to me, as good as this one. This one was the most athletic. How's that? It, the that's, two that's of them fine. both. Because Antonio's mm -hmm. running. And then, and the stuff they do on the floor, um, this one I think I could make out. Hogan won by count out. But it was so well done that, yeah, the whole place is scared and he gets stretchered out of there. But what I liked about it, even though they did fight outside, even though Hogan did get flipped over the top rope, it was, it was, by the way, it was a very bad, it was a nice going over the top rope, but it was like, he was too far away from the ropes to go over the top rope from the movie took. So it mm -hmm. kind of looked like when someone eliminates themselves from the Royal Rumble five feet after they get drop kicked. But uh, right. I liked that Hogan still looked like he respected him and was concerned mm -hmm. about him. Like it wasn't hate. Yeah. Heat, it was yeah. competitive heat. Mm -hmm. There was a big, like I said, there was a respectful feud between Inoki and Hogan. Again, they traded wins back and forth between each other. Again, I can't do this as a, a greatest rivalries because it's hard to find these matches. Right. And and they're in Japanese commentary, so I can't even say what the hell is going on. So, you know, it, this could be a, like a little, what it's a what if, but neither here nor there. But again, what if, TW, Japanese matches with English commentary. Well, I, I can't find them, but neither here nor there. But... Again, let's put a bow on this because you actually said it here. This could have been – this is Antonio Noki's prime in the 80s. Again, he's seasoned. He knows what he wants. He knows the presentation he wants to put out there. So I would say in the 80s, 1980 to 1989 is his peak prime 
a career facing people like Hogan, people, facing people like Andre, facing people like Stan Delaria Hansen, facing people like Bruiser Brody going into, you know, into the Japan scene, all that stuff. So what's AUTW? Again, I didn't give you a lot of matches, but we'll talk about the one more match, but there's a big, there's a, more of a, a political right. uh, feeling to that one. So I, I want to put a bow on that match. And then what say you about, you know, bringing the guy Jins, but also keeping true to what he wants. Because oh, seeing that Hogan match in the 80s, I'm telling you, TW, almost every Enoki match that Ho- he faced with Hogan is like he did in the 80s. What say you about that? And, and that's what it is. Hogan looked like a younger Stan Hansen, a younger Bruiser Brody, a younger... he look, Magnum TA almost looks like there because he's so much younger and he's not as bald, but he is still sporting the five head. Um mm-hmm. But, he, you know, he's not in the yellow and red. He's in black tights with, like, silver boots or gray boots. Um, and it just he looks like a wrestler. Like, this, Hogan looked good, too. They both look good in this match. And uh, and, and it's, it, 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 to me, it was the best match, like I said. This, the next match we're going to talk about, uh, it was very confusing. I mean, I understand why it was confusing, but I couldn't tell if the commentating was done post-match, because they were almost talking about stuff as hindsight, but then it sounded like they it, were talking it was, about it. Was, it was post-match because it was in, it was in Japanese post- and Korean. Yeah. But before we even talk about that match, we got to talk <laughs> about, like, his, not his waning days, TW, but in the late 80s, early 90s, he ventured, while he was still wrestling, but he was wrestling more of a part-time scale. He was, you know, he tried to, I think, again, T.W., the, the trappings of being the guy, right, T.W., like Jerry Lawler, like Fritz Von Erich, you don't trust a lot of people to pass the torch. So we're talking about a man who's wrestled since the 70s, a, an organization that he created. This was his – New Japan was his baby, the IWGP tournaments, the G1 type of style tournaments, bringing all the gaijins in. So, T.W., before we even talk about the last match and him venturing into politics – what say you about the trappings of being the guy not trying to pass the torch? Because, again, there's a big trust factor. Again, you, you can't trust people with passing the torch unless they're going to be loyal to the company and loyal to him. What say you? Also, I'm going to compare it to a modern-day sports athlete, someone mm-hmm. who should have hung his skates up probably five years ago. Maybe, maybe not five, but at least the last two. Mm-hmm. And the only reason he's still going is because he's part owner in the team, and he knows that people come to see him. And if he retires and does not play, the team is probably going to fold. So okay. he's holding out for the next star to break through, but unfortunately, everyone that breaks through over there ends up in the NHL. That guy is Yarmir Yager. Mm-hmm. He's trying to keep his Czech team going. But he knows once he's out, that team's going bye bye. Mm-hmm. And Antonio is probably the same way. If it, you know, he he probably would know if there's another guy there that draws like him, and there probably isn't. And that's why he's still going because if he's not there, no one's coming. Look at look at the Von Ericks. They drew to the damn Texas Stadium every Friday night. Now, they didn't sell it out because it's a football field, but they sold out what they set up for wrestling. And then all of a sudden it was gone, just done. No more, mm-hmm. no more world class championship wrestling. Why? Because no one ever came in and took their spots of the Von Erics. 
The guys that would have been able to do it, Gino and Chris Adams, one of them dies, the other one bolts to another promotion, right? And plus mm-hmm. he was healed. But the, the thing is, it is partly not pushing somebody, but no, I, I disagree with it to a point because look at the other guy. They pushed the Dingo Warrior. Next you know he's the Ultimate Warrior and he's in WWE. So you get to the point where once you have somebody that you feel comfortable passing the torch to, someone takes them because they're going on to the States or they're going on to a bigger promotion. So it's, it's, I don't think it's that. And look at new Japan's huge, probably bigger now than it ever been with him. Right. And well, it's not, again, you're, you're right. Because again, in the eighties, this was his prime. You could say, but then in the nineties, you, you could say he, he passed the torch to maybe Chono. He passed this torch to maybe Fujinami. He passed the torch to Amuda if you will. So there were people, there was a core, but they weren't the guy. Right. And they didn't probably draw like he does. Well, it's a different, I think to me, TW, and then we'll talk about the last match. There's a different aura with certain wrestlers. There was an aura to the Von Erichs, like you said. There's an aura to Jerry the King Lawler in Memphis. There's an aura to Fritz Von Erich. There's an aura to Baba in all Japan. And there's an aura for Enoki in New Japan Again, you know, there's an aura, and then there's people that draw. So there's something. And even Dusty Rose, you can even talk about him. There's an aura to the American dream, Dusty Rose. So you can't there's, – there's two different iterations, in my opinion. What say you, and then put a bow on Let me it. ask you a question. Mm-hmm. Hulk Hogan, 84, Hulkamania is born. How many guys were going to be the next Hogan and weren't? Lex was going to be. Warrior was going to be. Sid Magnum. was going to be. No, no, I'm talking about that they actually tried to make oh. this Hogan. Uh, Macho Man, maybe, but but I mean they were trying to make this big monster, like a big, tall, blonde guy. So Sid, Hogan, okay. maybe Kevin Nash, or Lex, not Hogan. None of these guys made it. You know what it finally took for someone to become the next Hulk Hogan? Oops. It took his ass being gone. Mm-hmm. Because as long as he's there, it's hard for someone else to be the next him. When he's not mm. gone, right? He finally leaves in 93. Business takes a huge dump, but industry abort everywhere, not just WWE. WCW's on life support. And then when you're gone, the- then then you can find that, that diamond in the rough. Because now you got them- no choice but to push everybody. And who finally did it? A guy that looks absolutely nothing like him. Russell's absolutely nothing like him is pretty much the anti-message of him of the say your prayers, work out, eat your vitamins. This guy's drink your beer and beat your boss up. And that mm-hmm. guy ends up becoming the next Hulk Hogan. So basically they're trying to put lightning in a bottle twice. And what they needed was a different bottle. Right. right? Well, and they finally that. got it. And then what is WCW? They finally get their Hogan. And, and what was it? Hogan as a bad guy. Mm-hmm. Right, but it was right. the anti-Hogan. He nobody wanted another Hogan. That inevitably ended up being the problem. And then right. you have you have two guys. One's my guy. One's your guy. Who who are now revered and respected and whatever. But they were the guys that got booed out of buildings because they were being forced down our throats. They're trying to make another Hogan. They're still stuck on this Hogan thing. We're like, no. If anything, they're trying to make another Austin. They're not trying to make another Hogan. And you know who I'm talking about. Your guy is the tribal chief. My guy is, you can't see, the peacekeeper, right? Mm -hmm. Those are both my guys, no no matter what. Yeah, but but, but, but 
I'm saying is like before I knew you, before you knew me, I was wearing John Cena stuff just to get heat, just like mm-hmm. you were doing it. And now Roman has grown on me, but but the, the big difference is, is I never hated either one of them. I thought mm-hmm. Roman was the was the, the crown jewel, if you will, of the shield the second I saw him, without knowing he was related to The Rock, without knowing he was third, fourth generation. I saw that guy go, that guy's money. You just got to get that stupid shield outfit off of him, right? And mm-hmm. then who ended up originally becoming money? Seth. And what's the first thing Seth did when the shield broke up? Got the stupid shield outfit off of him. And then Roman kept wearing it. So I, I think that partly hindered him. Now... Did he he takes that that vest off and it's not a bulletproof vest it's his gear you know logo now that he wrestles without it and he talk he's just he's money now but mm-hmm. it's because they stuck with him but but same thing with Cena like he was over then he was not over then he was like you're cramming him down our throat it's it's because wrestling fans are fickle now but but at the end of the day Antonio Inoki probably was a, he's dealing with his own mortality let's not forget that part right mm-hmm. there's there's a reason that I wrestled and got dropped on my head because you don't realize, you know, at some point you got to stop doing this because you're not 21 anymore, right? And so oh, yeah. there were certain matches, even in Tony Odoki's career, I think uh, Stan Hansen and Vader proved it. They, they, he took some shots. Right. Stan Hansen's lariat, he took it for real. Yep. Vader's powerbomb, he took that shit for real Everybody and he got injured. Real. Yeah, yeah. So. And, but at the end of the day, this guy's... Part of it's not want to let go. Part of it's afraid if I if I'm not here, people aren't going to come. And and the yeah. other part is trust. We're like, I want to put the ball on this guy and let him run with it. But what if he doesn't? And again, I can't say it enough. Great Muda. The, the second he could, he came to WCW. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know if he was one of the guys he would have wanted to put the ball on. He went back to Japan. I was uh, appreciated that about Well, him. Muda had his falling out with New Japan. He created his own uh, organization. There's a, there's a whole spotlight for him. I'm, too, I'm, so. I'm just saying, the reason WCW, WCCW died is because every one of their guys left. The, the guy, mm-hmm. Warrior, Kerry, um, Kevin's the only one to stay, but it was too late. You know what I mean? Yeah. It, is, it is. Chris Adams yeah. is dead. Rick Rude. I get you. Yeah. One man. It is what it is. Even Skandar Akbar is gone. It's also it's also a money factor. Someone offers you a, a lot more money, you're going to go. Yeah. So if it's they're a drawing, venture. they're paying. If they ain't drawing, yeah. they're not paying, and the guys leave to go get paid. ECW, it happened to your favorite. Of course. And so with Antonio Inoki, like I said, in the late 80s, early 90s, he ventured into the politics, TW, and he was elected because of his wrestling fame and fandom into the House of, let me get this right here, TW, the House of Counselors. So I don't know what party, uh, there is no Democrat and no Republican Party, God, thank God for that. So initially he joined the Sports and Peace Party in 1989, where he was elected into the House of Counselors, T.W. So within that term, if you will, T.W., again, he's thinking ahead. He's thinking he's a visionary. He's not Seth Rollins' visionary, but he's a visionary. I think he has he has he had the visions of world peace. So the last match I got you to watch actually was Collision in Korea in front of 200,000 North Koreans. I don't remember the stadium, but it was all Inoki. It was trying to establish a, a peaceful uh, relationship with North Korea and, you know, the Communist Party over there, TW. 
this was a, a, a dark side of the ring episode reflection. I so go back if you want to see it. But Antonio Inoki worked his ass off to get the wrestlers from WCW. And of course the main event for this two night affair, TW, don't get no don't get it twisted, was Antonio Inoki against Woo! Nature Boy Ric Flair in 1995 collision and career. This was you know, you could talk about 93,000, and we could, and Dave Meltzer can always, you know, say that there wasn't 93,000, but David Meltzer has never said anything about there wasn't 200,000 people in this state. And how in the hell would he know? Hey, he I'm just, I, I don't know if he was allowed, but there was, there was limited. Do you, how, do you remember how they got WCW there? How? They lied. They flew them to Japan, said they were going to wrestle in Japan, and then they flew from Japan to Korea. Well, again, Antonio Noki's a promoter first, so he has to swindle a, a little bit. He, 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 you're right, he's a carny, but he was a promoter first, too. So, you know, he's doing this. But, again, there was a political, you know, aspiration. political aspirations. He was thinking ahead. He probably wanted to be prime minister or I don't, I don't know how Japan works in their uh, form of government, if you will. Let's just call it prime minister or president, whatever you want. But he had bigger visions for, you know, humanitarianism. He had bigger visions for peace. He wanted to, you know, bring bring a United Nations to Japan. What say UTW about that? And then we could talk about his match with the Nature Boy Ric Flair. I'll tell you what, it was ambitious because it's also dangerous because Japan is a small, small place. And it's mm -hmm. very rich, mostly because of us. We blew it up. And a death aside, it's being blown up is probably the best thing that ever happened to the country, not to the people, because mm -hmm. it got rebuilt by the people that blew it up. And now, you know, at one point, it was the electronics mecca before Korea and everything else took it over. But just and like don't, and, and don't forget, TW, they, you know, how many times has Godzilla attacked Japan? I'm just saying, right? Just, right. Mm -hmm. Mothra. So mm -hmm. at the end, and he's not from Japan. He's from that other island outside of Japan, like dueling islands. But it's dangerous because, like I say, every time Dennis Rodman goes over there, not that North Korea is out there cutting people's heads off like like the Middle East, but it's they're going over there and they're risking being made an example of, like Brittany Griner, whatever. Is that, is that how you say her name? Yeah. Um, could you imagine if Korea just kept Ric Flair? Eh, we're not letting him go. We found mm -hmm. weed. We found cocaine in his robe. You know, just to take one of America's top names, people. Imagine if they kept Antonio. This dude, it would have been an act of war because he's well, a politician. But well, with, 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 well, Antonio Noki had, he had a Muhammad Ali in his back pocket too because, it was, again, it was, an, it was a goodwill nature tour. It was a goodwill no, no, nature no. kind they're, of thing. So. They're going to tell you, yeah, yeah, we're in, we're in, we're in. And they go, by the way. You're not leaving. You know, like, they could is what I'm saying. No, of course. I'm just... Would you... I don't know who was running the place in 95, but would you go there as a wrestler with Kim Jong-un being the guy? No, you wouldn't. The only one... Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, you, 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 you with these Fox News conspiracy... North Korea is nothing, is, is nothing like what everybody says. North First Korea all, is like the Bronx. Bronx. That's all it is. The Bronx ain't that bad. That's all are the ones telling you how brutal they are and that Trump's a punk for hanging out with them, right? So it ain't Fox telling you it's a crappy place. 
Like, now, is, I don't believe the propaganda. North Korea is like the Bronx. It just watch needs the to, interview. It just, needs to, it just needs to be cleaned up. That's all. Watch the interview. That's that's all you need to know about North Korea because it's real. Mm-hmm. Where they so do what, propaganda. What say you about this match? Because, again, the ambiance is very different because this these are Korean fans who know Antonio Noki. I could barely hear the audience. All I heard was Eric Bischoff talking and then I think Mike Tanay and I can't remember who the other guy was. Um, so, Sonny Ono. Yeah, okay, Sonny Ono. But Bischoff was kind of burying Flair the whole time, and I didn't get it. It was like one minute he's complimenting them, then he's burying them, and then he goes, you know what happened when he got home? So I'm assuming he left again, you know, whatever happened when Flair got back. Um, but Flair looked uncomfortable the whole time. I don't know that I've ever watched a match where Ric Flair didn't look into it, this match was it. I was actually pleasantly surprised because I'm like, wow, I didn't even know there was video from this. I know all about the event. Like This was on VHS. This this whole collision career was on WCW home video. You're also talking about a guy who didn't watch it. So I didn't know. But, uh, but, but I know the history of it. But, you know, just to fast forward, he beats Ric Flair clean. <laughs> like, like a Saturday morning squash almost. Well, he had to because this was his event. This is his. He was presenting himself again. But I think the challenge. No, no. Let me just say this. Hold on. Hold your thought for a second. The challenge was this is a Korean fan base. This is not a Japanese fan base. So, you know, Korea Korea had to look to their left or to their right at Kim Jong-un and say, is it okay to cheer for him? And and Kim Jong-un said, yes, cheer for him. So they cheer for him. So, and you, and um, if I'm correct, People were quiet for other matches. They were yelling for this match. They were waiting for this particular match so they could cheer for Anoki. And, you know, he's the uh, symbol of peace, the symbol of bringing people together, the symbol of, you know, brotherhood between Japan and North Korea. I don't know if this was a popular thing within the House of Counselors, within the Japanese constituents, if you will. But, of course, Antonio Anoki had visions of grandeur of maybe being a prime minister or president whatever the case may be so this was a success was it a political success i don't know because again he he lost his no, election camp. North korea. i'm gonna say, i'm gonna say no because north korea is still one of the most vilified countries in the world that and he lost his re-election campaign in 95 or 96 so after this venture which you know it it was took his time took his resources, money, and, of course, again, like you said, he did the carny thing to Flair, Road Warrior Hawk, Scott Norton. We don't need the Steiner brothers, and the list goes on and on, to put on the show. But he, you know, on paper, Anoki said, I'm doing the right thing for the right reasons. But the execution probably just was piss poor. What say you, T.W.? It's just like I said, Ric Flair looked uncomfortable. I don't think he was his usual heel cell because he's probably thinking, I might get shot, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. But one, a thing of beauty, he did those enziguris, which I found out from, from us researching this. That's his move. I didn't know the enziguri was created by him. Uh, mm-hmm. Every AEW wrestler does it about four times a match. So clearly they're Inoki fans. Um, I do remember him on video games. I didn't. Realized the one that Ray told us was based off Antonio Inoki. Oh, uh, by the way, Reflection X, Nintendo uh, Pro Wrestling, you remember that, for the Nintendo Entertainment System, the original 8-bit, the name Hayabusa, the look and stature of Hayabusa for that NES game 
was inspired by Antonio Inoki. So big shout outs to our executive producer extraordinaire, Big Ray Fernandez. And then you look at it and you're like, uh duh. <laughs> like you're like I know Not really the- duh. Look at the eyes. The eyes look made him look like he's from Milwaukee. I don't I don't know. But, he looked like he was King, King Slender was a combination of Hogan and Flair. Mm-hmm. Um Or it could have the- been Carrie Von Eric. You never Giant- know. No, Giant Panther was a Von Eric. He did the claw. Oh, I, yeah. Um, so, yeah. And then Starman, I don't know who the heck he was. He was way before Rey Mysterio's time. Um, mm-hmm. the, the the Amazon, I don't know who he's George Animal Steel maybe, but uh, I love that game. I play that game at the arcade and then on Nintendo. I think I played yeah. it too. One, two, three. Actually, that's a different game. But anyway. They um, never said it was. Hey, yeah. Uh, so when he does the knee drop to the back of Ric Flair's head, Flair's already dead from the second enziguri, um, and then he does the thing off the top rope and lands bare knee on the back of Ric Flair's head. Flair doesn't even sell it, like he's already just dead, and mm-hmm. bend him clean. And I'm like, wow, Flair didn't do that for a lot of guys. And what I was going to say is, I think Flair did that, and it shows you how much respect people have for Antonio Inoki, that Ric Flair would lay down clean. That 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 is one thing, but like you said, if he if he looked nervous, if he looked like uh he didn't look like his usual nature boy self, maybe again he's looking over his shoulder, maybe he's looking at the crowd, maybe he's thinking of Kim Jong un like if I do something because again for the American wrestler in Ric Flair, he can't say shut the hell up to a fan. Because right. he might get shot. Right, so you you think about that kind of in, you know instance like and I want to see he was having internal problems with WCW at the time contract issues or well, that, not in ninety five per se it was kind of like ninety six ninety seven so you know maybe the the the, they, was, the way Ric Flair was talked about by Eric Bischoff was like he wasn't in WCW anymore when he's doing this commentary. Well, no. Nah, <laughs> I, I disagree because I think he was just trying to play a storyline here. Like you said, this was not a live commentary. So he was trying right. to like, you know, he was trying to do the commentary by saying that Ric Flair is the heel. Antonio Inoki is the hero in this particular match where right. he won clean. So, right. and 95-ish TW was part of the final countdown tour for Antonio Inoki, if you didn't know this. 95 to 99 or maybe a little bit of 2000, he was having these final countdown retirement matches. So he kind of had these retirement ma- He had, like, multiple retirement matches. He was the Flair mid- Well, he had the Ric Flair uh, retirement match every goddamn year, every goddamn month, if you will. So I don't want to go into that. Again, New Japan Pro Wrestling under Antonio Inoki, you know, again, 70s was kind of WCW-ish. 80s and 90s turned into the WWE, if you will. New Japan in the 2000s, I'm going to put a bow on this TW in case you didn't know, was floundering a bit, even though they had certain people that he can get from America. He got Goldberg in New Japan to do a Tokyo Dome show. He got China to do a Tokyo Dome show. He got Brock Lesnar to do a Tokyo Dome show. But the the houses weren't, you know, economically, it wasn't, the, it wasn't like the glory years. So he had no choice but to sell his... Again, he was having kind of issues with his business partners. So he had to sell his controlling his controlling interest reflectionized to a video game company. And, of course, now New Japan is what you and I know today with the Kenny Omegas, the Young Bucks, the Okadas, the Tanahashis, and all that stuff. So that, it is 
it and the Bullet Club. It is what it is today. But Antonio Noki did try to jumpstart another professional wrestling organization, the IMF. It didn't, you know, again, it wasn't a success. And, of course, he went back into the politics in the 2010s. So it wasn't for the same political party, but, you know, I'm just trying to put a bow on everything. So with that being said, Reflection Nights, we close on this pro wrestling spotlight. And so, T.W., before you give out the socials, one more iteration. Let's put a bow on it. I'm going to start it first again. What I learned out of this spotlight is, you know, he put the hustle that he put into his career. Again, he wasn't gifted everything, you know, with the admiration. He wasn't gifted with being the number one guy. He earned it, whether it was the excursion, whether it was the professional jealousy against Giant Baba because he wanted to prove himself, whether it was to prove to Ricky Dozon that, you know, pass the torch to me, I, I, I can do this, I can carry this and, you know, take Japan to another level. You know, what's say you, TW? I think, you know, he, he, he put Japan on the map, he put Japan on his back, and now we know because of New Japan and FMW and all these Japanese organizations, if it wasn't for Antonio Noki, American Gaijin fans, we wouldn't be invest. Well, there's a small secular percentage, but we wouldn't be as invested as we would be if it wasn't for people like Antonio Noki. What say you? And then get out those socials. He probably he probably did the the you know company line as long as he could, and rather than wait for. Uh Someone to give him the ball. He went and created his own league, and it mm-hmm. worked out for him. You know, I would say, and I hate to use him as an example, and I have a figure of him right here, but only because it came with the Brian Pillman figure. But I figure, screw it, I'll set it up. Uh, Dean Ambrose. Dean Ambrose felt like he should have been higher up on the food chain in the WWE. Well, he's getting his wish now. So he he took it and went elsewhere, and and it's working out for him. He just signed a huge deal, didn't he? Just recently signed a huge deal. Five-year deal. Uh, so, you know, sometimes you got to bet on yourself. Uh, isn't that what Gargano said? Mm-hmm. Gargano Everybody said. says that. Be- just bet on yourself and you'll be a winner. So with that you know, being said. Bet on yourself and it paid off. And here we are talking about him. He's a legend of a human, legend of a, of a wrestler. And, you know, most people know that Antonio Inoki fought Muhammad Ali, whether they know it was real or work or whatever. They just know what happened. Absolutely. So we close on this pro wrestling spotlight. And before TW gives out those socials so we can get out of here, TW, next week, we finally do it. The debut of What If. The first time the Pro Wrestling Reflection Podcast ventures into a new kind of topic. The What If. The scenarios that happen in professional wrestling. The historic happenings with a twist. We're going to book it ourselves. We don't know how this is going to go, but it's a great experiment. So the first episode is what we talked about last week, GW. So we're going to expound on that. So I want you to really get those creative juices going. What if DX was let into the arena the night they invaded Monday Nitro in 1998? Are you ready for that? What if? I don't know how it's going to take an hour, but yeah. I... Hey, if, if it's going to, we're going to try our best. We're going to try to book it, but leave, you know, get those creative juices flowing. This is, this is a great experiment reflection. We're going to venture it. We're going to venture into this. Big Ray wanted us to try this and I'm, I'm game and TW is game. So TW, give out those socials so we can get out of here. Same as last. 
Yes. All right. So, Hameen Media Group at Podbean.com is where you can find us. Is that video, Podbean, or is that just audio? Audio. Okay, so on Podbean, you got to find us at Hameen Media Group at Podbean.com. Our Twitter is at PW Reflection. Um, then you have the big man himself, Big Ray Hernandez. He does not have a titter. He has a Twitter. Um, and his Twitter handle and his TikTok handle are the same, at Big Ray Hernandez. And, uh, when, he go, and when he goes to sleep, he has a twatter. He has a twatter. Yeah, well, no, that's different. That's uh, We discussed that. But anyways, mm-hmm. my TikTok is at the Tommy Wonder. My Snapchat is number wonder. Two of my uh, things, Instagram and my political, if you will, Twitter are at Tommy Wonder 19. Um, also, not just TikTok, at the Tommy Wonder is the one I talk most of my wrestling stuff on Twitter. Facebook.com backslash Tommy Wonder. And then you have, of course, Big Vito and his wife, Noelle. You can find them at bigvitobrand.wixsite.com or patreon.com backslash the Big Vito brand. And you can find me on my Twitter at PWSOPRF, that's PWSOPROF. And, of course, if this gets uploaded by 8-Track Brown, this will be on the PWSO Networks on the YouTubes. Follow my brothers in arms, Billy Ray Valentine, Mr. Infinite Fringe himself. He's not a Democrat. He's not a Republican. He's an independent, a true independent, just like the professor at Obi-Wan, you know me. And, of course, the man, the king of the reactions, 8-Track Brown at the number 8, T-R-A-C. Brown. So again, next week we're going to do it. We're going to try this experiment. It's going to be a very good experiment because there's a lot of what if episodes. But the first one is what if DX got into the building the night they invaded Monday Nitro in 1998. So I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to booking it. I, I have thoughts in my head. I can book it for 98, 99, and 2000. I'm sure TW can book it himself too in three different scenarios and three different variations. So with that being said, I'm the professor. That's Mr. Wonderful. The Tommy Wonder saying good night, and we'll see you next time here at the PWR Podcast at the PWSO Networks on the YouTube. Peace. Bumbaye. That's shrimp. That's what shrimp fried rice and an egg roll with a spare ribs. No bean sprouts. Okay, no bean sprouts.